Hello and welcome to The Frontline, a podcast from ILGA Europe in Brussels. We represent and work on behalf of over 600 LGBTI activist organizations across Europe and Central Asia, and our podcast aims to bring you to the front lines of queer activism in the regions. I'm your host today, Katrin Hugendubel, and this is the first episode of a mini-series we are producing, which will focus on building a picture of what the reality of LGBTI activism currently looks like and the context in which it is happening. We want to take a closer look what the pandemic, the rise in hate, growing polarization and populism have meant for the movement. But also, where are the opportunities to strengthen alliances? Where are new opportunities to push change? And what is all this changed context meaning for ILGA Europe and LGBTI organizations in Europe and Central Asia? How are we all responding and how are we supporting each other? Today, we want to focus on what's the life of an LGBTI organization nowadays like. What's the reality of the work in the current context, the good and the bad? To discuss this, I'm happy to welcome here with me ILGA Europe's program director, Björn van Rosendahl, Ola Kaczorek, founding member of Love Does Not Exclude, the first organization to demand marriage equality in Poland, Irena Svetkovic, the executive director of Coalition Margins in North Macedonia, which works to promote and protect the human rights of marginalized communities, and Ruslana Natchenka from the Ukrainian lesbian feminist NGO Women Association Sphere. So a very warm welcome to all of you. Thank you very much for joining us on the Frontline podcast today. Over the past 18 months, we've all been living through a time of unprecedented change, and this has had a particular impact on LGBTI communities and particularly on vulnerable people. Björn, let me come to you first. In your position at ILGA Europe, what's been your overview of the situation for LGBTI activists and organizing over the last two years? Hello, and thank you, Katrine. Um Well, whilst anti-LGBTI um, forces and growing socioeconomic disparities for many in our communities have gained increasing uh, attention, we have talked less about what this means for the work that LGBTI organizations do in this context. And the reality is that for many LGBTI activists, from what we have seen, most definitely uh, it has been challenging times over the past year and a half. Growing opposition to our work, authoritarianism, populism, these are all factors that have contributed to um, a climate overall that is increasingly uh, unsafe. During COVID-19, many organizations have been responding to uh, basic needs that were arising within their communities. And at ILGA Europe, we've seen an increase in the need for support to ensure safety, security, um, as well as the well-being of activists. So during this, this series of podcasts, really, what we want to do is to shed light on the reality of uh, activism on the ground, to understand what it is like to be an LGBTI activist these days, uh, to look at what has changed, what's keeping our organizations busy, both the good and the bad. And we want to discuss how ILGA Europe is responding to these needs. And so today we want to start by looking at the realities on the ground. And then in the following uh, uh, episodes, we want to look a little bit more at what that means in terms of the work that um, both activists, but also ILGA Europe uh, are doing. Thanks a lot. And I think with that, we, we just go straight to Irina, Ola um, and Ruslana. Um, can you tell us a little bit from your perspective, what 
activism and LGBTI organizing looks like at the moment? Irena, maybe we, we start with you. Sure. Uh, thank you, Katrin. And thank you for, for this podcast and being interested in our work. Uh, just to give you a bit more broader uh, context, so of North Macedonia, um, after the colorful revolu revolution, the previous regime, officially hybrid regime with strong liberal tendencies, has fallen and the new government was established by social democrats in, 200, uh, in 2016. And of course, you know, social democrats are more supportive to LGBTI people and rights and, let's say, civil society in uh, general. However, This uh, didn't actually lead to immediate change of the societal perception of LGBTI and especially LGBTI activism and activism in general. And the result of a more than a decade investment in creating this image of um, activists as foreign agents or LGBTI activists as agents of the rotten West that are threatening the Macedonian traditional values and civil society as a force with a hidden political agenda are very hard to uh, diminish. However, uh, and in this kind of situation, the COVID crisis entered and North Macedonia has very vibrant civil society And uh, LGBTI activists have always been in the very core of the progressive uh, movement, and that's why we survived. So to say, to answer directly to the questions, what are we doing? Organizing, of course, pride marches, initiating, of course, better inclusion of LGBTI in society, advocating for more inclusive legal framework, and, of course, supporting LGBTI people in need, so offering services, direct services to uh, people in need, like free legal, psychosocial aid, shelters for people that lost their home, etc. But as always, funding and working in reality of shrinking space are like, everyday challenges that we try to overcome. Thank, thanks a lot. And, and Ola, maybe we go to, to Poland. Um, How would you say your work has been changed um, also during the, the pandemic? And, and, and I guess, where do you feel you're, you're at now with, uh, when societies are starting to open up again? Uh, uh, sure, thanks. Uh, well, the main problem, I think, well, with the pandemics, of course, it was um, losing, uh, losing the personal touch with, uh, with people. Uh, so you know we we weren't able to see each other at pride marches uh, and other events that we were attending uh, usually and were able to you know communicate with the community uh, with the other activists but also with with the wider community that were people that were just going um to those events uh, and it was a big part of uh, of our um strategy Uh, so that was that was a little bit hard to find the way to communicate with people and not lose that touch um, entirely. Also, many LGBT plus um, teenagers and youth uh, were impacted uh, in a really, really big way um, by the lockdown, by the fact that they weren't able to you know, go out of, of uh, go to school um, and stuff like that. 
there were uh, also a few moments that they weren't able to go out of uh, of their house without a guardian, uh, an adult. So uh, it was a really hard time for people who weren't, who are not um, accepted by their families. Mm, uh, and it was, yeah, it was a moment that we decided to launch a uh, a small uh, website that we have, you know, gathered all the contact information about uh, different uh, psychological uh, help that's free and that um, people can uh, reach out to for some help. So this was uh, at the beginning of the pandemic and yeah, it was uh, unfortunately quite popular website uh, during that time because uh, yeah, there was a need for uh, psychological help during uh, during all, all those months. Um, but then we have developed a way to uh, communicate with people and to reach out um, more personally to, um, to other people because to the community, um, because we have launched a few, um, a few events that we have uh, been sending um, different educational uh, materials, but also not only educational, but also pride materials, um, printed materials like stickers, um, colorful uh, printed cards and stuff like that. So people knew, especially again, young people who needed the, the contact most, um, felt that they were not uh, alone in, in this situation, that they were not alone, that we are a big community and we can communicate via internet, but also um, get in touch via mail, uh, the traditional um, mail. So um, I think that those were the biggest problems with um, with the pandemics, but also, uh, you know, in Poland, the, um, the situation, I think we can, um, we can relate to Macedonia in this um, case that uh, the rotten uh, West is trying to attack our traditional Polish values. So this is uh, this is the mindset <laughs> uh, that we are facing on the daily basis. Um, but it's different uh, from you said um, in that the society actually gets more and more open. Uh, it's the politicians that are uh, more backwards than the society and um, the data shows it. Um, so it's something that keeps us going and um, yeah, we can see that the education and the effort that we are putting um, into it is, is paying off uh, and yeah, the society is actually more open than the politicians that it chooses to represent it. So it's uh, quite a weird situation. It's something that we need to address and we are trying to address, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's better that way, I guess, than the other way I, around. I, I, I guess so too. And I think it's really important that we remind ourselves of that positive change that we're seeing at the same time, because actually what you're describing, I think, is a is a very similar situation in, in a lot of countries where if yeah. we look at opinion um, polls, actually the, the rates of support in society are, are better than politicians pretend they are. Um, Ruslan, I'd like to come to you because I, I'm sure a lot of what you heard on, on organizing is, is resounding. So I would like to just hear your take on, on the situation. And I also know you were part of organizing a successful 
pride. And, and I think that's quite something in these times of, of lockdowns and restrictions. So it'd be nice if you could share that a little bit with, with our listeners. Um, yeah, sure. First, I want to uh, thank for including us at the podcast, our organization. Um, they're very thankful to have this opportunity to share what's going on in Ukraine right now, especially in the east of Ukraine, because our organization mainly operates in uh, in Kharkiv um, and the surrounding region. Yes, and um, as you mentioned, yes, I uh, want to agree with with my colleagues and activists that um, the patterns that we're seeing in other Eastern European countries are also there in Ukraine, and um, also that the politicians are thinking that it is a brand, like homophobia is still a brand in Ukraine. It is okay to speak out um, on issues um, that, that, that touch the LGBT community and at the same time hold those kind of uh, conservative um, homophobic views. Uh, but yes, at the same time, um, only um, five days ago, we had a successful uh, Pride uh, which was the it was the third Pride and the second March uh, because the last year we uh, we canceled March due to the um, COVID restrictions. We only had uh, an auto rally uh, where twenty uh, cars um, participated in it, but the the actual March only happened for the second time in Kharkiv. Um, um, what are, were the main uh, ways of reaching out to the community uh, throughout this um, COVID times? Were of course um, mobilizing the community through our uh, center. We have the Pride Hub, which is uh, the biggest uh, community center for LGBTI people and the allies uh, in Eastern Ukraine. So we're mostly holding um, projects there, um, lectures, workshops, volunteer meetings, um, to not lose touch with the community. Um, for some time, uh, the Pride Hub needed to shut down uh, in 2020 uh, due to the lack of resources and the lack of people who could run it for some time. So we needed to like reorganize and come with this format that would allow us to engage both the community and our uh, members uh, to cooperate successfully. But um, yes, in a lot of ways, uh, this year, the Southern 21, especially in the second part of the year, I feel like um, our activism is starting to look like uh, it was before. COVID because currently the restrictions are pretty relaxed in Ukraine and um, all members of our organizations are vaccinated. So we're trying to follow all of the protocols imposed by the government. And we have those mass policies, attendance policies at the hub um, to which our uh, participants adhere, um, which we're very thankful for, um, which kind of shows how um, the community is again, progressive and something that you can see in like in the general society that uh, uh, those kind of liberal forces are the one who are following um, the, the progressive change in Ukraine as well. And those are mostly the politicians who are against uh, the events that we're trying to hold in Ukraine. Thank you. I, I'd like to come back to something Ola said before, which was really talking about different needs that arose during the uh, pandemic. So an incre increased need for um, psychological help, um, support in, in situations of domestic violence, but also support for basic needs um, that has been across the region. I don't know if you have first reflections on how those one and a half years worked in terms of partnerships. Like, was it easy for your organizations to actually work together 
with partners on meeting those needs, um, kind of what worked, what didn't work. Um, we'll go more into that during the series, but I mean, maybe you can just have some some first few thoughts. Um, I don't know who wants to who wants to start. Irena, maybe. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, uh, what all I actually said, it is very uh, important and in kind of like framed our work during the first year and a half of the or year in the pandemic. So just to mention like very briefly, like the global stay home recommendations and obligations in our country, uh, I know that that might uh, trigger some positive uh, experiences to some people, but for many members of the LGBTI community, home is still not a safe place. And um, further, uh, as Ola said, although that there are no formal obstacles in access to health services, nearly 60% of the LGBTI community have claimed mental health problems because of the uh, health crisis uh, caused by COVID-19. And the problem is that the state missed the opportunity to address the needs of this community, mostly because, you know, our inputs were not invited at the beginning with the, when the anti-COVID measures were tailored. But I would like to just stress the transgender people. And I think that they were, this is the community that was hit the harshest. And you will have an idea how difficult it is for a transgender people to enter the label market, even in developed countries, let alone countries in the Balkans. So uh, the only industry, for example, that doesn't discriminate against trans women is the sex workers industry. And other significant part of this community is engaged in the so-called gray uh, economies where they do not enjoy the status of a worker. So no workers' rights are applied to them. And then when the pandemic hit over the night, they lost any in income. So it was a challenge coming from a civil society organization, mostly working on advocacy, we have to adapt to this new reality and transform each other, as I said, from civil society organization into more of a humanitarian aid organizations. So what we did, we spent a lot of our resources in providing uh, humanitarian packages that involved food, hygiene products, medicine, some supplements for the transgender uh, community and other uh, people from the community that was uh, in the need. As I said, it was very challenging to adapt in such a short time. And now we are starting to get back on our feet and continue uh, what we were, where we stopped. So to conclude, we are now starting to work where we left. We made the research on how COVID has, uh, has affected marginalized communities, including LGBTI, and now trying to work on two fields. So one is creating supportive social, legal, political environment in one hand, and provide direct help to community members so they can overcome the consequences of the pandemic in uh, another hand. Yeah, thanks. We're going back to more what was before, but it's not like it was before. I think that's the that that's what we're all trying to work out how that works. Um, in kind of all the work on on adaption um, that Irena mentioned as well, Ola, do you feel that you could work with with partners in Poland? Were there possibilities? Uh, yes, yes, we we tend to be in in contact with as many organizations um, as we can, uh, and uh, actually our um, our goal for many many years has been um, the 
the yeah making the um the community of activists more united um and the whole um, movement more um, focused on the goal um, so we, but, but I also wanted to add uh, at first that uh, Ivan, I'm really, uh, really impressed with what you said and with, uh, um, you know, shifting for, for, from one way of hoping to, you know, that this real uh, physical aid is, is something that I can't uh, imagine doing. Uh, we wouldn't be able to do that. So I just wanted to commend you on that. So, yeah, that's, that's amazing. Um, yeah, but, but going back, um, it's actually a part of our strategy. Um, to yeah to communicate with other organizations to make the movement more uh, sufficient uh, and we have been holding uh, those meetings uh, there there has been many um, over the past probably 10 years now um, with uh, with different outcomes and with different levels levels of success <laughs> um, because uh, there are still uh, you know the community is still growing uh, and the movement is still growing and there are many different people with many different uh, ideas about the the activism and the um, ways of achieving uh, what we want to achieve so uh, two years ago it was still 2019 so it was before the the pandemic we have uh, um, we have organized um, this uh, LGBT plus congress um, and it was actually with uh, with the aid from uh, Ilga Europe. So <laughs> um, uh, it was an event that we have uh, organized and that we invited 27 organizations from all around the Poland uh, into one place. Uh, and we have sat for straight two days. Uh, we have been talking before uh, online and then we have sat for a straight two days um, discussing not the strategy and not the ways of working because over those years we have uh, come to the um, conclusion that seems easy um, but but it's not so easy to um, to come to that we can be different in our ways of working, we can be different in our strategies. And it's actually a great thing that we are diverse in the ways that we work, uh, because um, I think the movement needs different ways of, uh, different points of hitting, you know? Um, so we don't have to have one strategy as a movement, but we do, um, it, was, it would be really nice if we could agree on the goal that we want to achieve and that uh, that meeting uh, was exactly that we have created um a list of uh, joint political postulates uh, together uh, that we have agreed upon uh, and those postulates were um, were used during um the uh, the pride marches the events and the uh, the whole pandemic um because uh, there were also uh, different um, problems in Poland during that time, especially um, the crisis with um, women's rights and reproductive rights. Uh, so, and there were those really big rallies uh, and protests, um, and also the LGBT plus community um, community was there um, and was represented um, in those strikes. Um, so we have used exactly this list of postulates um, that we have created during this Congress um, to, yeah, exemplify uh, our needs and our uh, demands. 
uh, as a community. So it was something that uh, really helped us as a movement to solidify not around the ways of working, but the goal that we are uh, trying to achieve. And it's something that, uh, yeah, it has um, taught me uh, a lot that we don't have to agree on, on every step, but it's really important to focus on the goal. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. And uh, with the protests you mentioned, and I think the, the common opposition against women's rights, LGBTI rights and, and sexual reproductive rights, you actually lead to my last question, which is that all three organizations on that call, um, you've recently started work um, supported by ILGA Europe on projects countering LGBTI work. Um, and um I wanted to ask you, Ruslana, to just um, on behalf also on the other two to explain a little bit what your organization is doing in that context. And and also, like, what do you expect from ILGA Europe in terms of support um, when it comes to that work? Um, yes, I wanted to comment that um, um, those efforts that we're putting in uh, working um, against the anti-LGBT agenda um, is something that we can see actually um, coming into life in a greater result. For example, at the, at the recent Pride that just happened a couple of uh, days ago, uh, we had a much safer march compared to what we had two years ago. And the activities that led to the march during the Pride Week, um, all of our street performances, um, public auction manifestations, um, they were... Uh, peaceful and uh, they weren't attacked, which uh, happened thanks to our extensive work and, and cooperation with the local police. So that's something that we've been working on. Um, also, um, recently, uh, the mayor of our city, um, like the, the city administration has changed and uh, there are local elections again coming. So that is something that we're also working on, just trying to communicate the needs of the community to the um, to uh, to the local municipality and uh, to talk with the city council about how we can uh, better organize our efforts. Um, it's something that we're working on. Um, on the uh, sadder note, I wanted to add that in Ukraine, unfortunately, it is still uh, common for even the, the, um, the political parties or political leaders who express um, or declare certain pro-European or democratic values to stand against uh, the march and the rallies, for example, uh, while our um, march was happening, uh, there was uh, a small protest organized by a right conservative group, at which um, a leader of the party European Solidarity, I guess you can see by the name that this party is supposed to be a, a pro-EU party, um, he took part in their um, this kind of like opposition performance, uh, declaring that he is against um derailing, so to say, uh, Ukrainian traditional values and uh, that he opposes uh, our movement, uh, which is something that uh, we're, we're worried about, that even the forces that are supposed to um, to cater to the needs of our community are actually declaring um, very, very different values. So, and to that point, from ILGA, um, we are already receiving this kind of support uh, in talking and communicating with the main stakeholders, but we would like to have maybe uh, more personal um, talks with the, uh, with the officials. So Ilga would ask direct questions of um, if you're in contact with um, Ukrainian leaders or regional uh, Ukrainian leaders on their stance on the LGBT rights. 
what they're doing uh, to counter homophobia in their regions, uh, in Ukraine overall, because that's something that we might not uh, have the resource to address as the regional organization, but something that Bilga could do. Thank you. And I, I, w- I would say note it and, and we'll come back to that. There's so much in that conversation and, and I'm really afraid I, I have to round up. But really, thank you all three for giving that rich glimpse on, on what your reality looks like. And I think it shows why we're doing a mini series because there's so many different aspects. Um, to, to try to somehow conclude this conversation, which seems really difficult, I'm coming back to you, Brian, and I'm giving you the easy task um, to just say, you know, what you heard, um, you know, is that meeting what you, what you expected and how does it resonate um, what you now heard in the last half an hour? Thank you, Katrina, and thank you all for, um, for sharing your stories. I think what we what we really wanted to do um, today was give a look in the kitchen of what the work of activists on an everyday basis looks like, which is something that we that, that we as Ilga Europe staff do on a daily basis, of course. But when putting this series of podcasts together, we realized that that is something that listeners probably don't hear every day. Um, so we wanted to bring these stories of what are what are the challenges, what are the common threats in activism these days, and I think things that we heard that are important to all of your work are um, how you kind of bring into your work different strategies around security or thinking around how do we address socioeconomic inequalities or how do we build um, more coherence or more alignment in um, what we're aiming at um, as a movement together. Um, or how do we strengthen our communications vis-a-vis um, a context of um, growing hostility, but also a growing instrumentalization of LGBTI rights? And what we then try to do at, at ILGA Europe is, first of all, of course, support some of that work through regranting. But secondly, and I think most importantly, create opportunities for activists like you all to come together, um, to, 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 to learn from one another, um, to, for us to, 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 to also learn from you and to find ways to bring up some of that learning, for instance, through an online resource hub um, that, that, that brings that learning together that we've, uh, that we've launched in the last year. And that is really what we want to, to, to look a little bit more into in the coming uh, series of podcasts. Um, so we're going to unpack a little bit what that work looks like, again, by bringing in uh, some activists to, to talk about their realities and, and, and how we then, as, as, as a European and Central Asian regional movement, come together uh, to address the challenges that are common and, 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 and so to say, create a larger um, united front, uh, a regional movement where we can uh, act together, where we can be strong together, where we can work in partnership and solidarity and in alliances um, to be ever more strong. Um, so that is, um, that is um, what we want to do. And, and, and I want to thank you all for, uh, yeah, for sharing your great stories today. Yeah, big thanks again also from my side to all of you um, for bringing that, to bringing such a human uh, voice um, to what's going on, what you're experiencing every day. And and I, I would say for the creativity and resilience that you show in the work every day. And Ola, you're absolutely right. It's the adapt the adaption work I think we're all doing, and especially you're all doing, is amazing and, and cannot be taken for granted. So thank you all a lot. Thank you. 
have been listening to The Frontline, ILGA Europe's LGBTI activism podcast. Please subscribe, like, comment or share wherever you listen to your podcasts and tune in next time when we'll be traveling further on the front lines of LGBTI activism in Europe and Central Asia. Bye for now.